And uh, today we talk about wisdom. Today we talk about wisdom. And, and in order for us to live different uh, from the rest of the world, one of the major goals of our lives must be seeking wisdom. We need to be seeking wisdom. And, you know, Proverbs is full of verses that, that call us to pursue uh, wisdom, and, and it's an essential ingredient, I want to say, in a, in a successful Christian life, is to be pursuing wisdom. You know, we live in a society that is increasingly polarized. Our country seems to be deeply divided uh, on a number of issues, uh, some like border security or corruption in leadership, uh, government spending, inflation, economy, even abortion. I mean, all of these things are things that, that uh, our country seems divided over. And this division is not new. This division has been around a long time. And uh, James addresses this division in our text this morning. And so we're going to start with um, James chapter 1, verse 5. And uh, James says this. He says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. And then skipping over to chapter 3, verse 13 and following, James continues. He said, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your heart. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown by, in peace by those who make peace. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for how you speak to us through your word. And Father, it's the word of your Holy Spirit that, that, that put it on uh, the hearts of those who wrote it down. But Father, we recognize that it is your inspiration behind it. It is God-breathed. And Father, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us. So that we might be redeemed, reconciled to you. And Father, I pray that you would help us as we seek your wisdom. Father, that you would help us to be wise, not in our own understanding, but in your ways, Father. Lord, we love you and we thank you. I pray for our team in, in Honduras. I pray that you would be with them as they communicate the gospel, as they share with leaders there how to disciple um, their people. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified in that. Uh, Father, put a hedge of protection around them and uh, give them fruit in their labors. And uh, Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen.
You know, I think it's interesting that James starts out here in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 5, and he talks about wisdom, and he, he starts out, if any of you, if any of you, I mean, right off the bat, this message is for everyone, okay? It's for mom, it's for dad, it's for children, it's for grandpa, it's for grandma, it's for everyone. If any of you lacks wisdom, and really what he means there, you know, that word lack means to fall short, or being destitute, or even being in need. In other words, if you lack wisdom, if you need wisdom, and and really that word lack pictures someone not possessing something that is necessary. Think about that. Not possessing something that is necessary. And James doesn't want his readers to be deficient in anything that reflects Christian maturity. And I I think this is huge because sometimes I don't feel like we get it. He says, if any lack wisdom, if we lack wisdom, then then we should ask of God. I mean, that's what he says. He says, uh, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. (laughs) You know, when he says gives to all, We need to define what all means in in context here. Um, God does not give wisdom to everybody on the earth. That's not what he's saying. But rather to every believer in Christ who asks in faith. There's a big difference there. James emphasizes the, the manner in which God gives generously and without reproach. I mean, generously has the nuance of simply. Like, like, he doesn't withhold it. He just simply gives it when you ask. And, and, and I, I love that because God gives uh, to his children and it delights him to do that. You know, without reproach. When he says without reproach, it means that, that God does not say when we ask him for wisdom, that God does not say, what, you again? I mean, you just asked for this and and I gave it to you and now you're back bugging me again? No, God doesn't treat us that way. I love this because God never makes you feel cheap or irresponsible for asking again and again. If you need wisdom, ask God. Stop, Stop reading all these other things and listening to everybody else. If you need wisdom, ask God. See, he invites you to ask him for all the wisdom you need. And I I think this is big because I need lots of wisdom. You need lots of wisdom. Ask God. God is ready and willing to lavish his wisdom on his children who ask for it. Man, I am thankful that that is God my father. That he doesn't make me feel weird if I come back and ask him for wisdom again. Lord, it's me again. And you know that I need it again. You know, and I love that because in in 1 John, it even follows up with with something concerning that. It says in verse 14, chapter 5 of 1 John, this is the confidence, this is the boldness which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked 
from him. Folks, it doesn't get any more ironclad than that. He says, ask for wisdom, we ask him for wisdom. We pray according to his will. And whatever we pray and ask according to his will, he gives us. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty simple thing. But I, I think it's huge because a lot of times we don't ask. And we don't have the wisdom of God because we don't ask. And so I'm, I'm challenging you today to ask boldly for wisdom from God. You know, in, in, in chapter 3, uh, verse 13 and following, James asks a very important question. He says, who among you is wise and understanding? It's a key question. I mean, how do you know who to believe? How do you know who to follow? I mean, James contends that wisdom is not about educational credentialing. It's not about position. It's not about even charisma. Wisdom is about how we live. The way in which we live. See, wisdom is not simply knowledge, but it's knowledge applied. And I think this is huge. Think about a person who's maybe a good driver. Think about a good driver. They are a good driver not because they can drive fast, they are a good driver not because they have a nice car. The good driver is the one who knows how to keep his vehicle under control. They know how to adjust their speed based on conditions. They see other drivers who are driving and approaching and they respond to those drivers such as maybe stopping or turning because wisdom is like that. It sees life clearly and responds to life appropriately. That's wisdom. Seeing life clearly and responding to life appropriately. In our text, James draws a distinction between two different, two very different kinds of wisdom. And in doing so, he shows us that two different ways of looking at the world. First, there's the worldly wisdom that he talks about. He says, you know, if you have uh, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie uh, and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. I mean, where does it come from? That's his question. Its foundation. Look at its foundation. Worldly wisdom is characterized by envy and selfish ambition. <laughs> I mean, worldly wisdom is centered on one question. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And the person with earthly wisdom is preoccupied with getting their own way. They see their own desires, their own standards, their own ideas as the measure for everything else. And if you disagree with these people or stand in the way of their desired end, you become their enemy. It's the whole premise for the cancel culture. You think about this. Well, if you don't agree with us, we're just going to cancel you. And it's like, wait a minute. This is envy. This is selfish ambition. James says these people are not only self-absorbed, but they boast about the fact. They're quite proud of the fact that they're not governed by any higher law. 
They have pronounced sense of superiority toward those who don't see things like they do. And they're determined to submit to nothing other than their own desires. In a nutshell, they have no room in their life for Almighty God. It's all about them. Notice the characteristics, verse 15. This wisdom that is, is, not, uh, is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly and demonic, excuse me, earthly, natural and demonic. I mean, <laughs> James says that it doesn't come from heaven. It comes from somewhere else. It's demonic. This term earthly means that it's wisdom that is drawn from this world rather than from God. And this way of viewing the world is, is short-sighted. It, it doesn't look beyond anything that is right here, right now, for the moment. See, James emphasizes that by saying such wisdom is natural, that it's unspiritual. It's not redeemed from God. Those who embrace worldly wisdom do not always recognize that their wisdom is unspiritual. Because you see, being spiritual is a very popular thing. People want to be thought of as being spiritual beings. However, if you listen to these folks, you discover that they have a little G God who has no power, who has no authority, who does not hold us accountable, and has only one rule. Enjoy yourself. Do whatever you want to do. Their little G God exists to make them feel better about themselves. And <laughs> James... Ultimately, he says, false wisdom, this earthly wisdom, is demonic. I mean, such a delusion comes from the devil himself. I mean, the devil's goal has always been to get us to turn from God and trust only in ourselves. Did God really say? I mean, when he questions Eve in the garden... He's trying to get her to put her trust in herself rather than in God. And he seduces us with notions of spirituality while moving us further and further away from the one true God. And we also see the results of, of worldly wisdom in verse 16. James says, where, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and evil, excuse me, every evil thing. Just imagine if you were a school teacher. I know some of you are living that nightmare. But just imagine if you were a school teacher and you had a, a, a class full of, of junior high students and you have to leave the room. I mean, you say to the class, hey, I want you guys to, to do what you're supposed to do and, and keep busy till I come back. And suppose you're gone for maybe 15 minutes. I mean, what might you find when you return? I mean, you're going to find kids wandering around in the classroom. You're going to find them wrestling on the floor. You're going to find some of them climbing on the tables. And all kinds of paper is probably flying through the air. You know it and I know it. You would have chaos. And our sinful nature, when freed from any standard to truth, leads to unimagined depravity. When we are left by ourselves, we go downhill. Okay? 
That's just the way it is. Paul even warned his colleague Timothy about the days to come. He said this in 2 Timothy 3, uh, verse 1 through 5. He said, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Pretty strong words. But Paul sounds like he's describing our society. See, this list has a common thread. All of these things are the result of being self-absorbed. All about me. See, the effects of this thinking are quite predictable. When we tell students that they can determine truth for themselves, we should not be surprised when they cheat and plagiarize and feel no remorse for it. When we proclaim that this life is all there is, it should not surprise us when consumer debt skyrockets. (laughs) I mean, if this is all that matters, why am I paying the bill? Why worry about it? When we proclaim that you have to do what makes you happy, it's not surprised, it doesn't surprise us that we have a lot of divorce, that immorality, unwanted pregnancies, and all forms of perversion sharply increase. And when truth is defined as whatever works for you, it should not surprise us that people lie in court and businesses make promises they have no intentions of holding. See, people will say whatever they need to say to get what they want. Folks, this is the ungodly wisdom of this world. And we see it all around us. Most of the societal ills we experience today are the direct result of faulty thinking, of faulty wisdom. It's the consequence of worldly wisdom. I know this has kind of been depressing, but... Here's the good news. We can see godly wisdom here. We look at verse 17. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. I mean, James contrasts worldly wisdom with godly wisdom here. And he gives us a starkly different description of this wisdom. I mean, the foundation of true wisdom, James says, comes from heaven. It's not something we create. It's not something that we discover through our own looking inward. What happens is God reveals, this wisdom is revealed by God. And this godly wisdom comes from God's revelation of the meaning and purpose of life. I mean, when we think about God and who he is, the sovereignty or the rule of God rather than the the rule of humanity, 
We have a God. We have someone who created us. And he is over us. He is greater than us. He is greater than any power on this earth. That is the sovereignty of God. You see, we also have objective truth as revealed in Scripture. Rather than what's being determined by public opinion. We recognize that God's word is absolute truth and it speaks to us. And when we look at it, it's like a mirror showing us where we fall short, what is on our face, what we need to clean up. And it's absolute truth, meaning it it applies to everyone all the time in all places. See, humanity is created in the image of God for an eternal purpose. And I think that's big because rather than just being another part of the evolutionary cycle, God created us for a purpose. And what a beautiful thing that is when we recognize God's purpose for our lives. And recognize also that earthly life is only the precursor to judgment and to the life beyond the grave. Folks, we believe in this. This is what godly wisdom is telling us, but the wisdom from above. Look at some characteristics of this wisdom. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm going fast. I got a lot to say in a short time to say it. But recognize these, these characteristics of godly wisdom. The overarching characteristic is one of purity. Purity. The word for purity refers to being innocent and pure and really blameless before God. Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The person with godly wisdom recognizes God's rule over their life. They don't live for themselves, but for the Lord. And godly wisdom comes to those who have, made, have been made right with God. And I just want to state this as clearly as I possibly can. You will never find this wisdom until you turn to Jesus for forgiveness and a new life. You don't just stumble upon it. It is something that God reveals to you in your life through reading his word and allowing him to speak to you. But you will never find this wisdom until you turn to Jesus. It's pure, it says. Second, godly wisdom is characterized by peace-loving. The person who is living by God's wisdom desires to reconcile people together, to to bring people together, not to um, separate them, not to alienate them. Thirdly, God's wisdom is considerate or gentle. You know, this word describes a person who, even though they are wronged, and they may possess the, quote, right to get retribution, but they choose not to do so. This type of person understands the the frailty of humanity and extends the same mercy and grace and forgiveness that they have received. Fourthly, he says here, it is peaceable, is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable. The person pursuing God's wisdom is reasonable. They're submissive. And the words do... Uh, Do not indicate a person who's weak or without convictions, but rather one who gladly submits to true teaching. See, a wise person is open to instruction. They're willing to be corrected. They desire truth more than they desire to be right. 
There was a story told about on one occasion of Abraham Lincoln. In order to please a certain politician, um, he issued a command to transfer um, certain regiments from one area to another. And uh, when the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, he received the order, he refused to carry it out, saying that the president was a fool. When Lincoln was told of this, he replied, If Stanton said that I'm a fool, then I must be, for he is nearly always right. <laughs> he said, I'll see for myself. And so they met and they talked about it. And, and as they talked, the president quickly realized that his decision was a serious mistake. And without hesitation, he withdrew it. See, a teachable Open spirit is often a major key in diffusing conflicts. The problem is, is we think we're right and we dig in our heels rather than being open and seeing what else could be a possibility. It also says here that a person who lives by God's wisdom will be full of mercy and good fruit. And when we talk about fruit, we're talking about the fruit of the spirit. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these are fruit of the Spirit. It also says unwavering. Pursuing God's wisdom is impartial or unwavering. It means that it doesn't embrace prejudices and stereotypes, but rather remains open to that. Finally, the person who pursues God's wisdom is one who is sincere without hypocrisy. They are without hypocrisy. They are genuine. The person who has embraced godly wisdom does not live a deceptive life. But notice the, the result of true wisdom there in verse 18. It says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace. By those who make peace. What James is saying here is that earthly wisdom only produces conflict and animosity. It's demonic. We know where the divisions come from. They do not come from God. They come from the enemy. See, godly wisdom leads to godly living. Those who live by God's righteousness stand out from the crowd. They are different from the rest of the world. Because we have the wisdom of God. And they don't. They don't understand. And as we look at these views of ways of viewing the world, we face two facts. The first is the world does not understand Jesus. The world does not get Jesus. They don't understand him. And because of their worldly viewpoint, they see Jesus merely as a historical figure who showed up and, and shows us what one man can do. They don't recognize him as God, that he has become man. They don't understand why he died. They don't accept his resurrection. And it doesn't make any sense to them. They're blinded by the devil. They're blinded by Satan. And his first goal is to keep them confused about the nature 
of Christ. So we have to be patient when we're talking to others who may not know Jesus in a personal way. When we're talking about things like salvation, when we're talking about the guidance of the Holy Spirit, when we're talking about our hope of eternity, we need to remember that we are speaking a foreign language to them. No wonder they just look like deer in the headlights. No wonder they don't, they don't understand. We're speaking a total different language. Folks, we must pray for God to open the eyes of those who do not see. We need for him. The, the enemy, the devil, has blinded them. And, 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 and they can't know the truth until they come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want to say this, that the world does not understand us. They don't understand who we are and where we have come from. See, earthly wisdom views believers as maybe, you know, empty-headed nitwits who uh, cling to their religious superstitions. We're ridiculed in the media as a believer. We're ridiculed in the workplace. We're ridiculed in the classroom and sometimes even at home. But folks, we cannot take that personally even if it's meant personally. See, the world does not get it. They don't understand. I love this quote from Ray Pritchard. He was recalling one of his seminary professors, Dr. Robert Leitner. He said at the end of a class discussion on creation and evolution, he said, guys, don't get angry at those who embrace evolution. It's the best they can do. And he's absolutely right. I mean, apart from God, how else do you explain the universe? Where did it all come from? But you see, evolution at its heart isn't science. It's about religion. It's a religious worldview dressed up as science to put forward as a way to explain everything in the universe without ever referring to Almighty God. Why get angry with people like that? Apart from God, what else would you expect them to believe? See, our job is to be compassionate to those who follow the wisdom of the world while we ourselves pursue God's wisdom with single-mindedness. And as I wrap this up, I just want to talk about how do we apply this. I'm going to go ahead and ask our worship team if they would come up as I wrap this up. See, in addition to fearing God... James told us in chapter 1 that those who want to be wise must ask God. I mean, when Solomon was being coronated as king, God told them that he would grant one request. I mean, let me just stop and ask the question. How would you answer if you were given one request from God? Maybe health? Maybe wealth, maybe power, maybe happiness. Many would answer this way, but all of these requests are according to earthly wisdom. They focus on the temporary rather than the eternal. But Solomon didn't ask for those things. Instead, he asked for wisdom 
so that he might rule wisely. And God told him this. He said, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. But in addition to wisdom, God gave him riches and power. And Jesus even told us, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. He knows that you need food. He knows that you need clothing. He knows what our needs are before we even ask. But he asks us to seek his kingdom first. See, the world says, get ahead, get rich, gain power, and then you'll be thought of as wise. You'll be asked to lead seminars. You'll write books and sell resources over the internet. But God says, seek me seek my truth and the other things will take care of themselves see I challenge each of you this morning to begin to ask God to make you wise to stop following the ways of the world but to ask him to make you wise secondly if we're going to do that we have to ask God but secondly we need to be a student of God's word I mean, if we're serious about finding wisdom, his wisdom, then we need to, to listen to and do what God has clearly instructed in his word. I mean, a good place to start with that is the words of Jesus. Read the gospels. Listen and do what Jesus teaches, and you're on your way to becoming wise. Third, I would say, understand what you believe. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, that we are always to be ready to give an answer to those who ask for the reason that we have hope. I encourage you, read, read books that logically explain why we believe the Bible is reliable, why we confess that Jesus is God, why we hope in life beyond the grave. I mean, there are good logical reasons why we believe all these things, and we must know what those reasons are so we can explain them to others. And lastly, I would say this. Defend yourself from worldly thinking. Be alert. When you view the wisdom that is embraced by television shows, when you view what, what, what you, when you're watching a movie, look at it and see what kind of wisdom is involved with it. Call it out. What values are being embraced? Don't just blindly watch it. I mean, he's given us the, the, the tools to, to evaluate and to discern which wisdom is being dispersed in what I am watching. See, we must guard against the tendency to believe something is true just because we've heard it over and over a lot of times or just because we've heard it forcefully put forth. Truth is objective, and we must evaluate all things by the objective standard of the word of God. Folks, we must live wisely. James reminds us that knowing the truth and even being able to recognize error does not mean that we are wise. Wisdom is when we live our lives by God's wisdom, by his wisdom. 
And ultimately, the, the world will notice our behavior before it will hear our words. People are watching us to see if what we say matches up with who we are. The two need to be together. See, our job is to translate knowledge into action. May God give us discernment to recognize truth from error and the courage to live by that which is true. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for this time. Father, I pray for a great repentance.